here's how I want to start this morning before we jump into Luke chapter one. I want to give you just like 30 seconds. Some of you are going to hate this, so I apologize on the front end, but 30 seconds, just somebody next to you. We're not going to circle up and spill our hearts and confess our deepest sins, nothing like that. But, but 30 seconds with somebody next to you, what is your favorite Christmas song and why? Now, um, some of you are instantly in turmoil because you're like, I'm at church, I should come up with the Jesus-y Christmas song. And so you can do two songs if you want. It can be a song about the season. It can be a song about Jesus. It can be both and. If you're really Christian, you just have one. So um, you know what it is. Now, um, there are some of you here this morning that hate Christmas music, and this is your opportunity to plead your case. Um, so 30 seconds with somebody next to you. What's your favorite song? What's your favorite Christmas song and why? All right, all right. I love watching you talk about this. I'm like looking around the room, watching you debate like the world's greatest Christmas song. I look back about over here and I see this woman doing this right here with her hand. And I'm like, I don't know what was going on, but I wanted to be in that. Uh, on, the, on the count of three, I just want everybody to just shout out your favorite song. One, two, three. I heard somebody shout a movie. <laughs> uh, now, how awesome would it have been if we just, in one voice, all shouted the same song? That may be cultish, or maybe we're like really flowing in the spirit. Um, it's, it's interesting to me as you think about this season, you know, season of Christmas, you cannot get away from the fact that this season comes with the soundtrack. Have, have you noticed that? Like the, the, the season of Christmas, whether you like that soundtrack or not, every Every commercial, every time you walk into Target or through the mall, every time you walk into a Christmas party, when you're putting up Christmas decorations, this season comes with a soundtrack. And I was thinking of that multiple times this week. You know, our family, we sort of have this tradition. We're sort of Christmas purist, which means we don't listen to any Christmas things or do any Christmas things until right after what? Somebody, Thanksgiving. So a few of you have been saved. Um, that, no, I know some of you start Christmas now like in mid-October and unapologetically, and we love you. We're glad you're here as well. But for, for our family, it starts right after Thanksgiving. And as soon as Thanksgiving's done though, we're like locked in and we'll watch some Christmas movies and, and we'll begin our Christmas traditions. And so the day after Thanksgiving, we're hanging out with my family down in Charleston, South Carolina, and we start just going through our Christmas movies. Like what are the movies that we're gonna watch? And and uh, we, I think we opened up with Elf and then immediately segued into Home Alone 2, um, which that's an interesting choice this year. Skipped Home Alone 1, went straight to Home Alone 2. And we were sitting there watching those movies. And for whatever reason this year, we were watching those, those films and I was just struck by the soundtrack. And I was, I was watching, you know, just all of that cinematic genius of those two movies. And I went, if you change the songs, it's a completely different story. Have you ever noticed that? Like if, if, if you were to take the songs out of a Christmas movie and just come up with some random soundtrack, it immediately feels different. So we're, we're watching these Christmas movies. I'm noticing the soundtrack. And then a few days later, we come back to Nashville and Sydney's parents take us to the symphony, which was amazing. We went down to the Skirmerhorn, one of my favorite venues in the city. And we're, we're listening to Josh Stone just sing with the symphony, all of these Christmas songs and some songs that she wrote. And I'm, I'm in this room listening to this music, and I don't know if you have had one of these moments recently where you're with a, a huge, diverse group of people, most of whom you don't know, and you're just struck by the transcendence of something that brings you all together. Like here we were in this room with, 
a bunch of people that we didn't know and it's decorated, it's beautiful, the music's playing. And there's just this one part where I, my, my eyes are closed and I just have my hands on you know, one of my sons on either side of me, my hands are on them. And I'm just overwhelmed by the sounds and, and the soundtrack of this season. And, and, and I was listening, and I was just thinking about that. And I'm like, God, why is it that our hearts this time of year just long, long for certain sounds? in certain songs, you know, maybe it's just because sociologically we're sentimental creatures. Maybe, maybe we just like to go back to things because they help us feel anchored, you know. Uh, maybe it's because in this post everything sort of moment we find ourselves in, whether you realize it or not, you like just a little bit of tradition. <laughs> Even the most non-traditional people just need a little bit of tradition to keep you to feel like you're, you're floating. But I actually think there's a reason the songs of this season touch so deeply within us. And that's because I believe the soundtrack for Advent didn't just start 100 years ago or 150 years ago. I think it goes all the way back to the very first Advent, the very first Christmas. And what's stunning to me is as you read through the gospel accounts, as you look through all of the things that happened around the first arrival of Jesus, it was much more like a musical than some random story that you would read. At least five different times around the birth of Jesus, somebody hears about this arrival of God in the flesh and their only response is to burst into song. There's the song that Zachariah sings, there's the song that Elizabeth sings, there's the song that the angels sing, the song that Simeon sings in the temple, and then there's this song that we're gonna look at this morning that comes out of the heart and off of the lips of this young woman named Mary who receives this really improbable and disruptive and overwhelming news that she has been chosen out of every person that will ever walk the face of the earth, that she has been chosen by God Almighty to carry and care for his son. And her response to that moment is, is not just fear and it's not just being overwhelmed and it's not just this like declaration of faith, it is this song that just kind of bursts forth in her being. And so this is what we're gonna do over the next four weeks. Every Sunday, we're just gonna stop and we're just gonna look at one of the songs that makes up the original soundtrack of the first Advent or the first Christmas season. And we're just gonna ask, what is it that those songs are trying to anchor in our souls as we come into the midst of a world that is so often shaking? Like, like what are these songs trying to impart into us? And so this morning, we're gonna look at this song from this young woman named Mary. And here's what I love about this song is on the surface, it just feels so safe. It feels so gentle. And yet it's anything but that. Uh, if you know Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you're familiar with this revolutionary Christian leader from the 1930s. He was a German theologian. He had this comfy job in New York City preparing future pastors and theologians. And he hears about what's happening in Germany. He hears about what's going on with Hitler and the rise of the Nazis. And his faith would not allow him to stay on the sidelines of what was happening. He felt like he had to go back. He had to get into the center of what was happening. And so he goes back to Berlin to train leaders and pastors. And he even helps lead an initiative to try to bring Hitler down. It cost him his life. This crazy, like revolutionary, bold, anything but um, gentle kind of leader. And there's this moment where somebody asked him what he thinks about this song that Mary wrote out of Luke chapter one. And this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great revolutionary would say about this original Christmas song, this song that probably none of us mentioned a few moments ago when we were fighting with our loved ones and our neighbors. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say. He says of, of all the Christmas songs, he goes, this one is quite 
possibly the most passionate, wildest, one might dare even say revolutionary hymn that has ever been sung. <laughs> like if you were to go on iTunes today and to download Mary's Magnificat, I promise you that would be a quote. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this is the wildest, most passionate, most revolutionary Christian hymn ever sung. And I go, what is it about the claims of this first Christmas song that are so dangerous? So I think there's this real challenge that we all have to wrestle with at Christmas, especially in a place like Nashville, Tennessee, is if you're not careful, you'll get inoculated from the gospel in the season of Christmas. If you know what it means to be inoculated, it's, it's where you go and you, know, you get a vaccine and they give you just enough of the disease so your body can build up a resistance to it. And I think if we're not careful, we, we, we show up in the season of Christmas and we wrestle with things like the incarnation and the kingship of Jesus and the sentimentality and the beauty and the trees and the lights. And if we're not careful, we get just enough of the truth to build up resistance from living into the revolution. And I think what Bonhoeffer was pointing out in this song is he knew that Mary was tasting something that if you actually embrace it in the depths of your soul, it makes you radical, it makes you dangerous, and it makes you beautiful in the eyes of God. And so I wanna wrestle with her song this morning. Before we jump into the song, we have to understand the story that's behind the song because behind every great song is a story. You know, one of my favorite podcasts is the Broken Record Podcast. I don't know if you've ever listened to it. So with Malcolm Gladwell and Rick Rubin and a host of other folks that will bring on artists that wrote some of the classic albums of the last 40 years and they'll say, tell us the stories behind that song. Because they know behind every great piece of art is, is typically a battle. <laughs> a heartbreak, something that folks were wrestling through. And in order to understand what Mary is gonna sing, you have to understand the story that was behind it. So just for a moment, I want you to just picture Mary, you know, not the, the version of Mary that we've been given through the paintings of the Renaissance that gives us this young woman in her mid-20s, fresh out of college, you know, ready, hopes and dreams, ready to tackle the world for God. That's, that's not, not who Mary was. Uh, historians would probably tell us that Mary was somewhere between the ages of 13 and 15. Young, Middle Eastern woman from a small town that, at least at the time, would never have been on anybody's radar. We know if you just look at the size of the well that was in ancient Bethlehem, that that town during the time of Mary when Jesus was born could not have supported more than 100 to 200 people. And so she's a small teenage girl, 13 to 15 years old, Middle Eastern woman, engaged to be married, which is another story for another day. She's not yet gotten married to this guy named Joseph. And I just want you to picture this. One day she's, she's sitting in her room in this small little town of Bethlehem. I don't know what you were doing when you were 13, 14, or 15 years old. For some of you, this is right now in your life. And you're just like, what was I doing yesterday? But here she is. She's, she's in her room and this angel shows up. I think we have this, this tendency, especially this time of year, to, to really sanitize this story and to make it so small and to make it so safe. But I want you to imagine you're 13 years old, you're in your room in this angelic being, the same being that showed up to Daniel 600 years earlier, Gabriel, who's been standing in the presence of God for thousands and thousands of years. He shows up in your room. This would not have been an exciting moment. It's been a terrifying moment. He shows up with this, this declaration. He goes, you have been chosen by God to carry his son. 
And although Mary was probably illiterate, as many of the women in her day were between the ages of 13 and 15, she knew enough to know that she had not done what needed to be done for a woman like her to be pregnant. And she goes, how can this be? And he goes, hey, this is not of natural circumstances. This is of God. You're carrying his son. And I just want you to imagine, like, if you were to receive something that glorious, that disruptive, that confusing, that upside down, what would you do? How would you handle it? Just imagine her coming out of her room to sit down at dinner with her parents that night. And, and they're like, how was your day? And she's like, where do I begin? Have you saw a really bright light in your room? What was that? Imagine the weight that this, this woman was carrying in her soul in a moment, in a day and age where a woman who got pregnant before she was married could be legally stoned to death. All the stuff that, that she was wrestling with. And here she is living in the intersection of God's glory and her confusion, the, the pain and the need of the world and God's desire to make it all right in the person of, of Jesus. And I love what she does after receiving this news. Look at verse 39 with me. Says at that time, Mary got ready. She hurried down to the town, so she's just received news that she's gonna carry God's child. And she hurries down to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now, if you know the story, a few months before, the angel had shown up to Elizabeth, who unlike Mary, was not a young woman. Unlike Mary, she was not a virgin. Unlike Mary, she was not unmarried. She was a much older woman who was past her ability to give birth. And God shows up to she and her husband and say, hey, you're gonna give birth. God's gonna work through her natural circumstances to bring about a supernatural reality. And you're gonna give birth to the prophet, John the Baptist, who's gonna pave the way for the coming Messiah. And so here, Mary's relative Elizabeth is in her own season of stewarding a miracle from God, in her own season of wrestling with the peculiar ways in which God is gonna work. And so Mary packs up her things, goes to visit Elizabeth, verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in a loud voice, she exclaimed, she begins to sing this song, blessed are you among women, blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And so there's this, this beautiful scene. I want you to picture this. Mary gets this news from the angel. She packs up her things. She has to explain to her parents while she's, why she's getting ready to go on a three-month road trip by herself. So once again, just picture, you're 13, 14, 15 years old. You're like, Dad, I'm good. Can I borrow the donkey? <laughs> I've got to go see Elizabeth. He's like, you don't have your license yet. She's like, I'm going to walk. It's good. And so she goes, and here she is, and I just want you to picture this scene, standing in the home of Zachariah and Elizabeth, this one older woman who is overwhelmed by the fact that God would choose her to carry John the Baptist, and this one younger woman who is overwhelmed by the fact that she has been chosen to carry the Son of God. And here she is in this circumstance, and it is out of this circumstance that the wildest, most passionate, most revolutionary Christian hymn ever sung is gonna come out of her lips. And she just begins to sing this. Listen, verse 46, this is Mary's song. She said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. 
for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has filled or he has lifted up the humble and he has filled the hungry with good things. But he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for, a, for about three months and then she returned home. This is the word of the Lord. And so here she is in this crazy circumstance. Her life is at the intersection on which all of human history is gonna wait and rest. And she sees her relative Elizabeth and she bursts into this song. And I just want us this morning to just kind of think about some of the lyrics of, of this song and what it is that she's discovering in God. And then we're just gonna wrestle for a few moments. What happens when our souls begin to dance to the soundtrack of the first Christmas? Like what happens when our souls get in step with this song that Mary is singing? So if you take notes, just, I wanna highlight six lines. There's so much more we could look at. But here's what's amazing to me. This young teenage illiterate woman from this small one stoplight town called Bethlehem, she burst into song. And in this song, there are 15 different scriptures from seven different Old Testament books. And so we don't know much about this young woman before the, the angel showed up, but what we know is she was this young woman feasting on the word of God, memorizing the word of God, thinking about the word of God, teaching the word of God, surrendered to the word of God. And when she gets surprised by the things of God, the word of God spills out. And I just want you to notice this song. She's gonna burst out into this song in the kitchen and the first thing she's gonna say is, God, you are attentive. God, you're paying attention. You're not asleep at the wheel. Look back at verse eight. I love this. She goes, my soul rejoices. My soul glorifies God. Why? Because God has been mindful of me. You know what mindful means? It means to be attentive. She's saying, God, your mind is full of thoughts about humanity. You're mindful, you're attentive, you're, you're paying attention. You haven't fallen asleep at the wheel. You're not distant to our hardship, to our needs, to our questions, to our fears. The first thing out of Mary's mouth is, God, you see me, you know me, you know, what, you know what's happening Guys, this is a stunning thought that the God of the universe looks down like right now into this room. He sees you. He knows your name. He knows your thoughts. He knows your fears. He's attentive to every single thing that's not just happening in your life, but to the life of the person next to you and to all 8 billion people on earth, everything. He's attentive. If we'd slow down enough to listen to the songs of Christmas, we'd be reminded that in the midst of everything that's happening, God, God's not asleep. He's not far off. You know, this season, as I mentioned earlier, it magnifies both the good stuff and the hard stuff of the year that we've just walked through. And chances are, if you had a really good year, you're coming into December and you feel hopeful and you feel joyful and you feel sentimental and you're ready for every Christmas party and decorating all the cookies and doing all the things. And I'm, that's amazing. But you get to this time of year, and if it's been a good year, those things get magnified, and typically your hope and joy and faith kind of rise with it. But in the same way, when it's been a hard year, 
you get to the holidays and there's this sense of, man, this is the first Christmas without my dad. This is the first Christmas without my brother. This is the first Christmas since the divorce. This is the first Christmas as a cancer patient. This is the first Christmas without the kids coming home. This is the first, like just fill in the blank, just as this season has a way of magnifying all the good stuff, it magnifies all the hard stuff. For some of you, this is just once again, another mark on the calendar where you go, I am still fill in the blank. Still single, still childless, still unemployed, still not certain where all this stuff is going, right? And I love this, this Mary, like this, this woman that everybody would have overlooked. She goes, but God's not overlooked me. And one of the reminders of Christmas, if we would just like slow ourselves down and allow the songs, not just to be the background soundtrack, but to, to get all the way into our souls, we go, God, you are attentive to us. You're attentive in the good times. You're attentive in the bad times. Everything you see, uh, everything we do, you see you pay attention to, you're aware of it. She begins to sing, she goes, God, you're attentive. She keeps going, she goes, God, you're, you're not just attentive, you're mighty. <laughs> you're mighty, I love, I love the way the song keeps unfolding, look at verse 49, she goes, you're the mighty one. Not only are you mindful of me, but you are the mighty one. In other words, you're strong, God, you can do anything. <laughs> Nothing's too hard for you. Nothing is beyond the scope of your strength. This is an unbelievable declaration. She understood in the depth of her being that God is the impossibility specialist. The circumstances that feel impossible to us are nothing in the hands of God. And she's in this moment where her life is at the intersection of God's promises and God's kindness. And she goes, you're attentive. You're attentive, you're paying attention. You are mighty, you can do anything. Here's one of the things I've noticed in my own life. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. But when my view of God begins to get smaller, my view of my problems get bigger. Have you ever seen that correlation? And that typically the bigger your problems feel, the smaller your view of God is. I had one of those moments earlier this week, if you're friends with me and you know me, I, I'm not typically prone to worry. It's not the way that I've been wired. It doesn't mean I'm immune to worry. I just don't tend to go to worry first thing. And earlier this week, I had a moment where I just got upside down worried about a couple of circumstances that are beyond my control that I cannot do anything about. And I was just worried. And I, you know, I tried to do that like Christian thing of turning my worry into prayers and that seemed to make it worse. I just you know, worried more. And um, maybe I'm just bad at praying, but just like, oh. And I was just sitting there just worried and just thinking. And then, and then I just started thinking about God and something amazing happened. As my view of God got bigger, all of a sudden, my problems themselves didn't change, but my understanding of their insurmountability began to shift instantly because what seems impossible for me is easy for God. And I love, I love this moment. Mary just begins to sing. She goes, God, you're attentive. God, you're mighty. She keeps going. She goes, you are the holy one. Look back at verse 49. She goes, holy is his name. Holy just means to be set apart, to, to be different, to be other than. And this is really important for American Christians. Because for a lot of American Christians, we just believe that God is just a slightly more leveled up version of humanity. 
Every movie you ever watch where God is depicted, typically God is just represented as a human being that's just a little more powerful, a little more wise, a little more unstoppable. He's just a refurbished genie in a bottle. But Mary was under no, she was under no illusion that God was anything like her. She goes, you are holy. You are different. You are mighty. You are other than. You are powerful. You are attentive to me. You are mighty for me, but you are not like me. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. You're other than. You are high and lifted up. It's an unbelievable declaration. That as we think about the sentiment of Christmas, Jesus paying attention, Jesus in might and power coming, Jesus being among us in the incarnation, it's important that although he was among us and he was flesh and blood like us for a season, that we understand he is other than. Holy, high and lifted up. And this is kind of a terrifying song if you stop after this third verse. I want you to think about this, what she's declaring, that there is this mighty, all-encompassing being who is not like you that's paying attention to everything you say, everything you do, everywhere you go. That's a pretty overwhelming thought. I think it's a good thought. It's a true thought. It's the reason one of the first verses we teach our sons is Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and understanding, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. We're constantly trying to remind our sons, you will never think anything, do anything, or go anywhere where the loving eye of a holy God is upon you. <laughs> I just want you to think about how that changes things for just a moment. It's 11 o'clock at night, you're lonely and you're beginning to swipe right. What changes if you think a holy, attentive, all-powerful God is right beside you? Who you are when no one is looking is who you really are. And the reminder of the Christmas story is someone's always looking. And that's an overwhelming thought. And Mary goes, God, you're attentive. You're mighty. You're holy. Like, you're looking at us. You're, you're, you're near, you're, you're other than. And if she stopped there, it'd be pretty overwhelming, pretty scary, but she keeps going. Look at the next part of the song. She goes, and yet in all of that, she goes, you're merciful. You're merciful. I love verse 50. He goes, she goes, his mercy extends to whom? Somebody say it out loud with me. His mercy extends to those who? To those who fear him from generation to generation. This idea of mercy is God shows up in power and in attentiveness and in his holiness and doesn't give humanity what they deserve, but he comes with mercy. <laughs> he shows up in the mess of your life and he comes with kindness. He shows up in the mess of your life and he comes with grace. He shows up with your sin and he offers an extension, an opportunity. This is who he is. She's astounded by this. This is the song. Passionate, wild, revolutionary. God, you're paying attention to everything. You're, you're mighty, you're different than me. And yet you show up and your, your first move towards humanity is to move towards the mess in mercy. Guys, I was just thinking about this one thing this week. I'm like, man, praise God that he's merciful. <laughs> like one day, every one of us will stand before Jesus. I promise you, Dave Clayton does not want to stand before Jesus based on Dave Clayton's merits. I, I, I don't know what the language is in the, in, a, in the original language, but 
man, if it were up to my merits, I'm screwed. Like there's, there's no way around it. No way around it. But I come pleading mercy. <laughs> and Mary goes, he's merciful. He's holy. He's mighty. He's tuned in. He is attentive. She keeps going in the next verse. She goes, he's just. He's just. Look at verse 51. 52 and 53, she goes, he's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty-handed. Mary understood that, that God and his character is completely just, which means salvation and judgment are dancing partners in the hands of God. Salvation and judgment work together. Notice what she sings in the song. She goes, there's this simultaneously thing happening where God is bringing rulers low and he is raising the humble up. Where God is judging the prideful and the arrogant and he was filling those that are hungry. All throughout the scriptures, there's this connection between salvation and judgment. Noah's family experienced salvation simultaneously as the whole world was experiencing what? Judgment. Israel was experiencing God's salvation as they were coming out of Egypt, as Egypt and their powers and their principalities were experiencing what? Judgment. The salvation and judgment danced together in the kingdom of God. They happened together in order for God to be just. Both things are gonna be on the table and this young teenage woman, she's, she's singing this song. Man, you're paying attention, God. You're attentive. You are mighty. You are holy. Uh, you, are, you are so different than me. You are merciful. And she goes, and you are just. You're just. And there's this, there's this warning in here. She says, she says, it's tough for the comfortable and for the rich to get around the agenda of Christmas. And I think this, we have to be careful because we like to skirt these things as Americans. Immediately, we can all think of somebody 10 times richer than us. But if you were to be standing in a room with people from all across the world, they'd all look at you and go, you're rich. We're all rich, we're comfortable. And something happens in our comfort and in our riches, if we're not careful, in a desire to control everything, we actually shut ourselves out from the audacious revolutionary claim of the Christmas story. And here's the revolutionary claim of the Christmas story, is that the problems of the world cannot be solved by the people of the world, but the problems of the world can only be solved by someone from outside of this world coming into it. Like when the world is a mess, God didn't look down and go, okay, if we just get somebody new in office, I'm just telling you, the hope of the world will not come next November. It's not the hope of the world. And if your hope is there, you're gonna to continue to become this, this bitter, doesn't matter what side of the party you're on, let's just offend everybody at once. I don't, care what, I don't care what side you're on. If your hope, if your hope is in God taking a sinful person and putting them in an office and getting everything right and all, it's, I'm just telling you, you'll just keep being let down whatever side of the aisle you're on. God goes, I've got this, it's, I'm just. I will judge and I will bring salvation, but it will come from someone beyond you. And we get into his agenda. He's attentive, he's holy, he's merciful, he's mighty, he's just. One more, 
She goes, God, you're faithful. I love this. You look at the next two verses, verse 54. She goes, he has helped a servant Israel by remembering to be merciful. <laughs> I love the next verse. She goes, to Abraham and his descendants, he has done all that he has promised. In other words, Mary goes, God's a promise keeper. Everything he's ever said, he brings to, he brings to bear. He brings to fruition. This is who God is. In fact, right after she found out she was pregnant, one of the first things she says in Luke chapter one, verse 37, is she says, no word that God has ever spoken will fail. Guys, you can bank your whole life. You can set your whole life on every word that God has ever said because it will come true in ways that you can never ask, seek, or imagine. And this young girl burst out into this wild, passionate, revolutionary, spirit-inspired song. And I want you to notice everything she sings about is not her circumstances and it's not her conditions, but it's the character of God. You're paying attention. You are mighty. You are holy. You are merciful. You are just. And you are a faithful promise keeper and everything you've ever said will come to bear. And I want you to think about what happens when that song is not just playing in the background of your house as you're decorating your tree, but all of a sudden begins to, to, to move your spirit so that you begin to move with the reality of what it's proclaiming. Like what happens inside of you? I think what happens inside of you is, is, is really significant. And just real quickly, look what happened in Mary. Jump back to verse 46. Here's what happened in Mary when she saw the promised arrival of Jesus. Number one, she began, she began to magnify the Lord in everything she did. Look back at verse 46. Mary said, my soul glorifies, or some of your Bibles say magnifies. Like when this song of Advent, when this song of Christmas came all the way into her soul and out of her lips, all of a sudden she understood the grand purpose of her life was to be a magnifying glass on all the ways that God was working in the lives of people around her, whether they could see it or not. See, Mary understood that she couldn't make God bigger. God is just big, right? <laughs> she couldn't make him bigger, but she could use her life so that other people could see him more clearly. So what happens when, when the song of Christmas, guys, when the, when the songs of Christmas really get in you, these truths of who God is get inside of us, tomorrow you go to work, you go to campus, you go to time with your friends and your family, and you're going, how can I use this day, this moment, to magnify the character of God in the midst of all that's happening right here? She magnifies the Lord. She doesn't just magnify the Lord. It says she enjoys the Lord. What do you do when this song gets in your soul? You begin to enjoy the Lord. <laughs> Look back at verse 47 with me. She goes, not only does my soul glorify or magnify, she goes, my spirit rejoices in who? Shout it out, my spirit rejoices in? In God. My spirit rejoices in God. She, she doesn't go, oh, man, my spirit rejoices that 2023 was amazing. My spirit rejoices that I got the promotion. My spirit rejoices that I got the girl. My spirit rejoices that I got the circumstances. Guys, if our joy is anchored in our circumstances, our joy becomes fickle and fragile. She goes, in the deepest place of my life, my spirit is finding joy in whom? In the unshakable, unchanging character of God. When the song of Christmas gets in, we begin to magnify who God is. We begin to enjoy his character, to think about him. It's so easy 
to become apathetic to things that are beautiful. And there's something about the season where we just stop and go, God, this is beautiful. This is real. This is wild. This is revolutionary. Let it go deeper. She magnified the Lord. She enjoyed the Lord. Number three, she leaned into community with others that were doing the same. Verse 56, it says, Mary stayed there with Elizabeth for about what? About three months. I go, why? Why'd she do this? And the the text doesn't tell us explicitly, but I'm convinced that in the midst of trying to steward this overwhelming news and overwhelming miracle, she needed to find somebody else that was stewarding some overwhelming news and an overwhelming miracle. And she went and found another woman who was learning in her own way and in her own season and in her own time how to magnify and how to enjoy the Lord in the midst of a circumstance she never saw coming. And guys, there's just something about this time of year where you're designed by God. Like you could have stayed home today, could have listened to the podcast tomorrow, could have done this while you're walking around Radnor. I'm just telling you, something different happens when you get in a room with other image bearers of Jesus filled by the spirit of God and you go, God, what, what, what are you saying to us? What are you saying? And so I just wanna want challenge you in the midst of all that's happening this year, you know, all that's gonna happen this season, how do you slow it down over the next four weeks so you can see what he's doing, so you can enjoy who he is, and so you can help him to seem and be bigger in the lives of the people around you? You know, I think that the warning that, that Mary gives is really important because it's possible to be in church this time of year to not, but, but to not be in Christ. And you have to be really careful. I just encourage you to ask that question. I know I'm in church right now, but am I in Christ? Am am I rooted in who he is? And she's gonna say, for the proud, for the rich, for those that are trying to be in control, the Christmas story doesn't make any sense. But for the person that knows that the solution for the problems of the world lie beyond them, the Christmas story all of a sudden begins to turn everything right side up. And so I just encourage you to see, and go, okay, God, where, where's my hope? Where, where am I looking? But the good news of it is, for those that are humble and hungry, what happens? <laughs> you get filled. <laughs> you get filled. And so maybe the only prayer you need coming into this season is, God, despite the year behind, would you help me be really humble and really hungry for the arrival of your son, Jesus? You know, Mary was the first person changed by the Christmas story. I just kept thinking this morning, I'm like, she was the first, but you could be the next. There's some of you that have been on the sidelines and the Lord's like, here's your moment. And I I just wanna encourage you to to lean all the way in to what God is doing in this season. So let's stand together. I wanna pray a blessing over us. And then we're gonna come and we're gonna receive communion, the bread and the wine, and we're gonna be just reminded of the mystery and the miracle of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for who you are and for what you are doing. God, would you, would you come near in this moment as we take the bread and as we take the cup? And God, would you just draw our minds to your character and would, would the song that you've been writing across all of human history just begin to trickle all the way down into our souls? And God, would you bear great fruit as you see fit? In the name of Jesus, I pray. 
Give thanks. Amen.